Hello and welcome to the podcast for the April 2009 issue of The Lancet Neurology. Richard Dane here with TLN editor Helen Frankish. Helen, welcome. And we're going to focus quite a bit on stroke this month. You've got an article, you've got a systematic review and a comment looking at the global instance of stroke. How feasible is it to be able to step back and take a look at something so enormous like the global instance of stroke? It is a huge task but there have been population-based studies of stroke incidence and mortality in various countries and also the WHO's Global Burden of Disease program combines national mortality data with results from epidemiological studies to come up with estimates of burden of disease that are compatible across countries. And which regions are most affected by stroke? Well we have two papers in this issue looking at the worldwide burden of stroke incidence and mortality. In the review article Valerie Fagan and colleagues from the University of Auckland did a systematic review of all population-based studies of stroke incidence and mortality published from 1970 to 2008 and specifically they looked at the change in stroke incidence and mortality over time as well as differences in stroke incidence and fatality between high income and low and middle income countries and they found that in high income countries between the 1970s and from 2000 to 2008 the incidence of stroke decreased by about 40 percent whereas the incidence of stroke in low to middle income countries more than doubled during this same time period. And just to put some numbers on that, from 2000 to 2008, the incidence of stroke was estimated to be 94 per 100,000 person years in high income countries, whereas in low to middle income countries, it was 117 per 100,000 person years. And also you have a research article too, looking at the global incidence of stroke. So what was this research article setting out to investigate? Well, in the article, Clay Johnston from the University of San Francisco and colleagues from the WHO used data from the 2002 Global Burden of Disease Project to look at stroke mortality and burden in each of the 192 WHO member states. And they found that stroke mortality rates varied tenfold between the countries ranked at the top and bottom, with countries from Eastern Europe, North Asia, Central Africa and the South Pacific being overrepresented among countries with the highest rates of stroke mortality and countries in Western Europe and North America overrepresented among countries with the lowest stroke mortality rates. And a similar pattern was seen with disability from stroke as well. And what do we know about risk factors? factors, Helen, for stroke when we're looking at stroke at the global level? Well, the same risk factors for cardiovascular disease also apply for stroke. So high blood pressure, obesity, uh, raised cholesterol, tobacco smoking, etc. These all increase the risk of stroke. And the researchers found that there were large differences in the prevalence of these risk factors between countries. But these cardiovascular risk factors measured on a national level were generally poor predictors of stroke death rates and burden. Surprisingly, a country's income category, as classified by the World Bank, was the strongest predictor of stroke mortality, greater than that of high blood pressure and tobacco smoking. Also, Helen, alongside the article and the systematic review, you have a reflection and reaction, a commentary alongside it. What's, what line is this taking? 
Well, this comment is written by Martin O'Donnell and Salim Youssef from McMaster University in Canada. And they highlight the fact that our knowledge of the global epidemiology of stroke lags behind our knowledge of coronary heart disease. And large international case control studies, such as the Interheart study, of which Salim Youssef was the principal investigator, have led to a greater understanding of the regional variation in incidence and risk factors for heart disease. And these authors are now using the same methods used in Interheart in the Interstroke study to identify the importance of established and emerging risk factors for stroke globally and in each region. And moving on, Helen, you have a research article about prion disease. Can you just remind us of what prion disease is and how it comes about? Well, prion diseases are rare degenerative diseases of the brain that are caused by the conversion of the normal prion protein to an abnormal form, which then aggregates in the brain, leading to neurodegeneration. Human prion diseases can be either sporadic, hereditary or acquired in the case of variant, variant CJD. And what did this study set out to investigate in particular? Well, in vitro studies had suggested that the anti-malarial drug quinacrine might block formation of the abnormal prion protein. An interest in quinacrine as a potential treatment for human prion disease then grew and many patients began to request treatment with quinacrine. And so the chief medical officer in the UK asked the MRC to sponsor a trial, the Prion 1 study, to investigate the therapeutic potential of quinacrine in patients with prion disease. And they started up a formal consultation process among families, carers and patient representatives to come up with a study protocol that was acceptable to all these groups. And what did they find out? Well, the design of the trial was a little unusual. It was a patient preference trial. So patients could choose which arm they wanted to go into. So they were given a choice of quinacrine no quinacrine or randomization to immediate or deferred quinacrine in an open label manner and 107 patients with with prion disease were enrolled 23 in a pilot study and 84 in the main study and in the main study only one patient chose to be randomized 24 chose immediate quinacrine and 59 chose no quinacrine so it's essentially an observational study rather than a randomized controlled trial so the main finding was that Although mortality was lower in those patients that received quinacrine than in those that chose no quinacrine, when the differences in disease severity between the groups was adjusted for, there were no differences in survival between the groups. The design you mentioned is important, isn't it? Because presumably, ethically, because prion diseases are so aggressive and fatal, Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be very difficult or impossible to construct a randomised trial to investigate this type of problem. That's right. And as the authors point out, patients or their carers who are faced with the prospect of a disease that progresses very rapidly are not willing to accept the possibility of being randomised to deferred treatment. And on the other hand, carers of patients who were already severely affected were not prepared to accept a treatment that at best might slow or perhaps stop the disease progression, but with no possibility of reversing the neurological damage that had already occurred. And the researchers suggest that few future trials that are aimed at patients at a mild or moderate stage of disease might offer the best prospect for acceptance of random treatment allocation. So what happens next, Helen? Obviously, 
these results are disappointing. It's essentially a negative outcome study, isn't it? That's right. And researchers in the US, in San Francisco, have recently completed enrolment in a randomised controlled double-blind trial in patients with sporadic CJD and a trial using a similar design to assess the potential of doxycycline for all forms of prion disease is underway in Italy. But as the comment writer Michael Geschwind, who's involved in the US trial, points out, whatever these findings, quinacrine and doxycycline are unlikely to be the penicillin for CJD and more effective treatments for prion diseases are urgently needed. And finally, Helen, any other highlights from the April issue that you just briefly want to point out to our listeners? Well, we've got a bit of a bumper issue this month, as well as the two articles that we we just mentioned. We've also present the results of Hamlet, which is a trial assessing surgical decompression for space-occupying cerebral infarction, as well as a cluster randomised trial of person-centred care, dementia care mapping and usual care in dementia. And we also have reviews on clinical and molecular phenomena that mimic epileptic seizures, neuroinflammation in Parkinson's disease, and finally, preconditioning and tolerance against cerebral ischemia. Many thanks, Helen. That does sound like a bumper issue. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Those are some of the highlights from the April issue of The Lancet Neurology. We'll be back next month.